So I sent you I sent you this book. This uh, book. It, now is is this a book? Because it doesn't quite seem to be a book to me. Somehow. It's a it's a it's a legitimate book. It's a a floppy book. It comes with comes with punch out postcards uh, and a door hanger that says "Gone, Carolyn." <laughs> well, and I can't. I mean, I can't imagine much, how how much how much more of a book you can want. Well, I mean, but when I when I when I question whether this is a book, it's just. It sort of seems to be halfway between an actual book of carols mm-hmm. and 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 a storybook, yeah. and it doesn't quite make it to either of those things. But it's it's halfway between a book of carols and a book near carols, or a book of, like <laughs> involved with carols. I wouldn't even say it gets halfway to a story, except that like there are characters, and they right. do things. Right. They do things, and they do things in a very highly compressed way. Now, before we get into the meat of it, though, I do have yeah. something. I do have to remind you of one thing, John. Uh-oh. The season of singing has come. <laughs> and that is from the Song of Songs. <laughs> it's only part of one of the songs of song. Right, right. But uh, that that's our that's our opening. So these it's are this one of the is, cleaner parts of the song. <laughs> I was going to say, like when I think Song of Songs, I don't think caroling. <laughs> I, I don't think <laughs> things you want to sing with your closest <laughs> friend, like relations. <laughs> well, you know, maybe <laughs> I, I I don't want to shame anyone if that's your thing. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Uh, it is the sexiest book in the Bible. It will just yeah. we'll just leave it at that. I took a class in college called Five Strange Books of the Bible, oh, and yeah? uh, it was a fascinating class. It involved like the Book of Job, Book of Revelation, obviously, uh, but Song of Songs was one of them. Uh, and the professor was like, "Yeah, it's it's spicy, and it's a wonder it's in there." <laughs> Welcome back to Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bear cast. I'm your host, Phil Gonzalez, and it's Christmas. It's actually Christmas. This is the Christmas episode out of two. Uh, but last week's was about the nativity, and it was just me, and it was just me rambling about uh, Francis of Assisi maybe or maybe not inventing the concept of a nativity. Uh, and then I talked a lot about why there were ox in the nativity scene. It was very long, and I, I talked a lot. But this week, I have a guest on this show, because this week's book is about a very specific thing. And when I when I read the book, I was like, I gotta have, I gotta have him back on the show. Uh, I gotta have, I gotta have John McCoy back on the show, because if there's one thing John McCoy knows about, it's literature <laughs> and, and, and this is and this is uh, you're, you're using literature in a very broad term here and a this is a way. book about one of the weirdest subcategories of kind of american literature or literary music it's about christmas caroling and a lot of what we think of as christmas carols came from america in a very specific time and a lot of those carols are covered. Anyway, it made me think of you, John. Also, I really wanted to talk to you again because it's been too long. Well, it has been too long. It's good to it's good to be back here in Bear Country. Um, as as probably uh, your listeners know, Phil and I used to do a podcast together a long time ago. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and uh, it's 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 good to it's good to be uh, chatting books again, even even strange little books like this one. Now you do chat books on the reg, though. You are you are a book chatter. I'm a book chatter. I I I yes. Is this is this the invitation for me to plug my podcast? You, yeah, it all ties <laughs> together. It all it yes. all circles around itself and comes back to Bear Country. Right. Well, I do a podcast called Sophomore Lit, which mm. is. It, which was originally conceived to be a podcast about reading books you read in high school, things like Catcher in the Rye and such. But it's kind of grown to be any books you might have read when you were a a young person, mm-hmm. either a young uh, child or a young adult. Uh, and uh, it's it's a fun podcast, except that it means that I regularly have to read books that are 300, 400 or more pages long. And so I'm very grateful to be on this podcast is what I'm saying. This is a very short book, but it, it shares a little common blood with with uh, with sophomore lit because Christmas carols are they each have a weird history and they they get a little bit deeper if, because you learn them as a kid and you experience them as a child it may not occur to you until you sort of dig into them that there's like a each one of them has like sort of like a strange history a strange past they have disputed authorships they have controversies the the wikipedia section on controversies surrounding good king wenceslas is is more substantial than the history of the song itself well, I was going to get into that because uh, you know we'll, we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll get. To that's that. actually that's actually one of my uh, my 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 little bugaboos about. Is that, is that. <laughs> so uh, so this this book is the Berenstain Bears Go Christmas Caroling, and I think it's the I think it's this is the I believe newest book I've ever covered. This is from 2019, uh, so it came out uh, it came out I, I guess the Christmas before COVID uh, hit. Mm. Uh, we were like, you know what? We need a book that's all about showing up unexpectedly at people's houses and singing directly into their faces. That this is a this is a tradition that'll be comfortable and long lived for the rest of human experience uh, in December of 2019. So it's it's appropriate. Uh, have you ever gone Christmas caroling? You know, I I have. Um... You know, there wasn't a lot to do, as I've said many times before, in the small town that I, I grew up in. And uh, I, I I think there was one time early on when my wife was visiting, and, and, and she's she's a festive person. She she said, let's all go out and Christmas carol. And we so we, we went about a block in, in uh, to the west i guess and uh <laughs> it was very very cold and nobody uh. came out and greeted us at their door and nobody gave us pudding uh so we eventually went back in uh so we i went caroling with i mean this is a very high school theater thing to do but i was at a high school theater christmas party and we were like let's go christmas caroling so me and the group of like eight other kids decided to go Christmas caroling around the neighborhood. And we were amazed that we just showed up at people's houses. We knocked on the door and they would open the door and we'd just start singing at them. And people actually invited us into their homes and gave us like cocoa and cookies. Uh, it was the most like like Victorian England thing I've ever experienced in my life. Uh, mm-hmm. And so in my mind, I was like, oh, this works. This is a thing that like, it's a weird like social contract. Like if you show up singing at someone's house, they have to give you something. Um, 
But I've covered caroling on this show before uh, in, in a past Christmas episode. It shares a lot of weird DNA with trick-or-treating, uh, mm. historically speaking. Like, if you study the history of wassailing and the history of trick-or-treating, they kind of, like, meet and branch off throughout European history. Because, uh, they, they, I mean, they have the same, like, basic concept. You go to someone's house and you ask them for something. Yeah, I, I mean... Th- it's it's interesting you talk about it as being sort of uh, you talk about being so victorian I, I i always think of when i think of christmas caroling that bit at the beginning of a christmas carol where mm-hmm. the lone caroler comes to scrooge's door and gets uh terrified by uh an angry scrooge what was he grabbing a poker or something to yeah. like, and <laughs> so uh but but that he was singing um, "God Rest You Merry Gentlemen," which yes. is a very English uh, English uh, carol. So we, I, I do hope we get some into the origins of, of these carols because they are quite uh, interesting. Uh, yeah, no, uh, I, I, we we sort of have to because that's literally all that this book hangs on is a <laughs> list of Christmas carols. Well, no, no, there there is there is a, a framing story, and, uh, yeah, and, and I think that framing story is is full of of interesting little questions. <laughs> well, let's get into it then, because uh, th- this is a Mike Berenstain book, and it's. I'm going to come right out and say it. it's delightfully colorful. It's a very it's a very joyously illustrated book. Uh, I think Mike Berenstain. It took him a couple of years, I think, to hit its stride and and come into his own as a Berenstain Bears like solo illustrator. And uh, this is a very bright and colorful book to look at. So I'm just going to get that out of the way right now, so we can talk about the meat of the story. <laughs> so how does it begin? Well, it begins uh, on Christmas Eve. And uh, on Christmas Eve, the uh, Bear family is hanging lights uh, on their tree. And I have to say, this is, I, I find this kind of admirable because whereas we always talk about Christmas creep, mm-hmm. it seems like the, 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 the bears are, are determined to keep their Christmas celebrations within the, the, the absolute smallest space they possibly can. Right. You know, they're going to, they're going to hang those lights and it's going to snow tonight mm-hmm. and all this stuff is going to, they're going to fit in the entire season in the next uh, six hours. I've noticed that in uh, in some movies and, and children's Christmas specials, there's the whole like, it's time to put up the tree. It's Christmas Eve. And I'm like, I just, I, I mean, I maybe there's some sort of tradition where that happens, but we had, we, when I was a kid, we took care of that weeks in advance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the days leading up to Christmas were all about getting ready for family to come over. No, you, uh, we would put the Christmas tree up sometime early in uh, December, and and unfortunately, uh, you know, somewhere in the mid. 70s late early 80s my parents decided that we needed to get on to on board the whole natural tree thing Mm -hmm. and that's 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 great except that um that means that if you've put your tree up in in december 2nd it will be absolutely bone dry by december 14th yeah your your living room will simply be covered in the sharpest pine needles you've ever experienced (laughs) i remember going through that as a kid uh i grew up in texas and our and our house was not huge but it had a very high ceiling which meant we could get a pretty tall tree and uh and i just remember that thing just shedding into the shag carpeting uh and i don't know how many times my mom had to vacuum to get to get rid of all those pine needles <laughs> um so yeah so the bears are decking out the tree and by tree we mean of course their home because that's where they live 
Right. Uh, Grizzly Gramps and Gran are helping out. They're they're hanging garland on the on the fence, and the the all three cubs are taking on the task of putting bows on the mailbox, which the mail is not even coming the next day. So, I don't know like what purpose that serves. <laughs> right. Um, right. But as you said, the first snowfall of the season begins on Christmas Eve, and that's that triggers a memory in Grizzly Gramps. Of, you know, the Irving Berlin White Christmas, which is not quite, you know, I, I get the feeling that, that he really wanted to put it in here, but he didn't want to pay for the uh, the royalties. <laughs> That's because exactly that is that thinking. is that is still a song very much under copyright. Yeah. And, and the, the reason you say this is because they don't sing White Christmas. He mentions it's going to be a White Christmas. And then Grizzly Grand responds with a lyric but as conversation <laughs> so there's plausible deniability <laughs> i mean it's pretty it's pretty smart on mike's part but he because he says it looks like gonna be a white christmas and grizzly grant says just like the ones we used to know <laughs> uh it does not say sings grand it just says agreed grand right and then and then and then grams turns to her and says you know last christmas i gave you my heart <laughs> right right <laughs> And then Grizzly Grant says, you know, when you think about it, Die Hard is Christmas. Snow is coming thick and fast, and uh, Farmer Ben pulls up in a one-horse open sleigh, and this is where the the plot really takes off. This is where the yeah, story but, begins. But before we get into that, how, how did all this snow fall <laughs> in what seems to be like fifteen minutes that that uh, that Farmer Ben is already on a sleigh? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Farmer I, Ben lives next door. I mean, we know that his farm is within walking distance. Uh, I'm more confused about how the snow got that thick in like, have they just been outside that whole time? <laughs> right. Is because the- you know, that you mentioned it's a very colorful book. The first, the, the first picture, it looks like, like Indian summer here. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, yeah. it's like, it looks like it's got like a, like a balmy 65 degrees as the sun is setting. And then suddenly boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, not unlike the midwest today because yesterday it got up to 60 degrees and then today it got up to 20 so oh wow uh we had we had that big uh, storm blow through so maybe oh, yeah, the, maybe yeah. maybe the bears got caught in a derrico and uh <laughs> we're holding out for ben to show up in his one horse open sleigh which he does which is being pulled by the horse bess who we've met in the past and uh, he invites them all to go uh, to go on a sleigh ride. And here they 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 jump into the most on the nose uh, carol they can, which is Jingle Bells. And, and I want to say something here, which is um, he, one of the bears asks about what a bobtail is, mm-hmm. and the and the farmer says, "Oh, look at the way I've trimmed Bess's tail. Yeah, that's called bobbing." Now I want to know. I want everyone out there to know. I, you know, I grew up in, in, in near farm country. Bobbing is docking. They actually cut off a part of the tail. Yeah. So it, you know, this is this is a little bit um, whitewashing the. <laughs> the I mean, country life. 
I suppose Ben could have said, I cut off part of her tail, and that's that made it into the song. <laughs> and, and, and I'm coming for your tail snacks. <laughs> Why do you bob a horse's tail, though? I, I don't know. Why do people clip Doberman's ears? I mean, they do. Like, Bess is a farm horse. She's like a workhorse. I just can't imagine, like, what... Don't they use their tails to keep flies away? Like, isn't that, like, a thing? You know, people do bad things to animals. <laughs> the lesson of the Berenstain Bears Go Caroling. I do want to point out that Ben does not know how to sing Jingle Bells. Uh, mm. He sings Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells, Jingle All the Way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Bells on bobtails ring. Making He sings the first two lines of the chorus and then the last two lines of the first verse of Dashing Through the Snow. Because <laughs> the song begins, Dashing Through the Snow in a one-horse open sleigh, over fields we go laughing all the way. Then Bell's about to, he's, and I feel like Ben just starts singing and messes up. And they're all just like, oh, Bell's on Bob, Bell tails ring. Like, Ben's old. We don't really, like, just. I, I thought it was just edited for time, you know. This is like, uh, this is like on The Voice <laughs> when they sing a song that's, like, originally four and a half minutes long. And they sing it for 45 seconds, you know. But making this work. So jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Bells on bobtails ring, making spirits bright. <laughs> like, it doesn't even like work. Those, the verse of, of Jingle Bells and the chorus of Jingle Bells are two very different moods. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, of course, Jingle Bells, otherwise known as, I think, Dashing to the... Or the, the, the sleigh song. Is, it wasn't originally called Jingle Bells. It's yeah, called, I, think it, I think it was called, like, Dashing Through the Snow. And it yeah. had, like, a million uh, verses, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's got a... It's a great... I mean, I love... I used to have this Disney album that had all the verses on it. And uh, it's got, like, the, the, uh, the... Now the ground is white. Go it while you're young. Take the girls tonight and sing a slaying song. And I, I'm always saying, like... Because Jingle Bells isn't a Christmas song. It's a slaying song. There's all these songs that people wrote about what fun it is to take the slaying out, get a little drunk, go out with your girl, and like get into a little dangerous slaying accident. Like, to see the, the, that's the fastest you could possibly go back then. It was like hot rotting a few decades later. Oh, it was, it was originally pu uh, published under the title One Horse Open Sleigh. Ah, because that's what the song's about. It's basically like, I can't think of any of them, but any of those Beach Boy songs about a car. <laughs> like, that's literally it. It's like, hey, let's all go, let's go cruising uh, in, our, in our sleigh. Um, and then they, in the song, they end up uh, getting in a, in a horse accident. They end up uh, crashing into, a, a drifting into an open bank and getting upsot. So then it becomes Teen Angel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, the famous last verse of One Horse Open Sleigh, where you find out the whole song is being sung by a girl whose boyfriend died in a horse accident, which probably happened more often than not. get into a horse accident uh ben quickly changes the subject off of his poor horse's tail and 
they drive through the night and they hear someone singing joy to the world the lord is come mm-hmm. uh, an old 18th century carol english carol this is by isaac watts who was uh, a pretty big deal mm-hmm. he was um what was it he was like uh the he, I, I just know he wrote a lot of hymns but he but he's also like a I think like he was like either a philosopher or a mathematician or something like that. He wrote like, you know, the way that the English uh, clergy do, you know, the, the, the English clergy do a lot of things other than just be clergy. You know, they also right. solve crimes all the time. <laughs> they, they solve crimes and they form the basis for characters in Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> uh, his poems were, were parodied in Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Oh, yeah. There we go. Um, uh, and he was quoted in David Copperfield. Yeah, a pretty famous guy. How does a song... Why do some songs go from being hymns to carols? Like, why was Joy to the World the song that people were just like, I'm going to sing this not at church? Well, I don't, I don't know. I th- if, you, if you actually open up like a hymnal that's either a Protestant or a Catholic hymnal, you'll, a- you'll see that some of the things that are considered carols are actually Advent songs. Mm-hmm. And some are actually Christmas songs, and and you and and properly you're supposed to sing like "Come O Come Emmanuel" in Advent, and you're supposed to sing "Joy to the World" on Christmas Day. Mm. Um, so that so there was a, a liturgical uh, background to these things that you know is largely lost on on the bears. <laughs> it is largely lost on the bears. My I guess my question though is like, why did some of these songs slip into the popular? consciousness like even if you well, don't go to church you know joy to the world well it's it's a banger it is it's a it's got a really good tune and, and it's a you know and, and i think it's also got an easy interval i think it's just about about an octave yeah so da, i think da, most, da, 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 da. yeah so i think you know most people can probably fake it even if they can't really sing and i guess like if you have a chorus of children that whole like and heaven and nature and heaven and na- and heaven yeah. and nature like that sounds like that's easy to achieve but it also right. like sounds nice sure uh, yeah it's a it's a and, oh because when you get those kids repeating the sounding joy yeah sure joy to the world the lord is come let earth receive her king let every heart prepare him no, I remember. I remember uh, there was a point somewhere when I was about eight or nine where I started to kind of get the whole concept of counterpoint, and I loved "Joy to the World" for that, and I also loved. Um, uh angels we have heard on high for that mm-hmm. because the glory oh, yeah. oh, the 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 baseline is a di- is a completely different thing and you know so it's uh... uh so so the bears who are singing a joy to the world are the bear country carolers and ben's all get out of my sleigh and go join them <laughs> right well he says he has chores to do <laughs> and it's like it's like uh, the middle of a of a of a blizzard on christmas eve and i feel like he's got to be like the worst farmer in the world if he's if he's still got chores to do well, he, at this point he just headed out in his sleigh he's like i'm really busy tonight but i there is mrs ben 
So he's probably left her at the house to do the chores. He's like, I'm going to go take old, old Bobtail Bessie here around and see if we can pick up some of our neighbors, take uh-huh. them around, take them circle around town for one song. And as soon as we meet up with anyone else, I'm going to dump them out of the sleigh. Yeah, I, f- I have a feeling this is like a it's not me. It's not you. It's me kind of thing. He, yeah. he, he wants he just wants them gone and he's coming up with whatever lame excuse he can give right right and, and that lame excuse is the bear country carolers who are out on christmas eve rounds they're out on the on their christmas eve rounds singing from home to home uh cousin fred is with them and farmer yeah farmer ben has to go back do some chores see you when you get there he drives off with a jingle of bells and i guess now the bear family is uh is is joining the is joining the carolers right, and and right. this is where your moment to shine comes in john Right, right, right. Well, I, I just wanted to, you know, you, you you probably were going to mention this anyway, but just like how What Child Is This mm-hmm. is a, a ripoff of the of the, the great medieval song Green Sleeves, mm-hmm. Good King Winsless is, is a ripoff of a completely different song mm-hmm. that is that is not a Christmas song. It's actually a spring song uh, from the 13th century called Tempus Ades Floridium. Mm-hmm. about saying time has opened the flowers and um and those lyrics are actually very charming very 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 lovely and uh I, if 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 people would like to hear a good um modern performance of that there is a uh Czech band called Euphorica okay. and somewhere I got uh, somewhere long ago I got a you know if you like this try this thing and I <laughs> I I, I, I I started listening to Euphorica. They they do medieval songs, but they do it with a kind of a, I don't know. They 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 use original instruments, but they it's kind of a modernization of of them anyway. It's it's these four Czech women, and I I love listening to their stuff. I think I'm like one of like six subscribers to their YouTube channel. Uh-huh. So everybody get out there and, and subscribe to them and and, and do look up Tempus Ades Floridium. Tempus Ades Floridium. Surgent nam quet flores, vernales in omnibus, imitantur mores. Hukvot frigus lezera, preparant calores, cernimus hoc fieri, per multos labores. Sunt preta plena it's, floribus. It, 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 it's a con- so good king, good king Wenceslas is... A, is 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 a controversial song because it's not about Christmas, uh, and it took over a song in the public consciousness that is also not about Christmas. <laughs> uh, it is a pretty cool legend. Fred begins telling the story of of King Wenceslas, who was not a king to begin with. He was a lord. He was he was he was granted his kinghood after death, um, but. It's it was about how this this bohemian king lord is going out and helping the poor in the middle of a snowstorm and his servant is behind him and is like it's too cold and it's too cold I can't I can't go on and Wenceslas turns around and is like see my footsteps just walk in my footsteps and you won't get lost and then he turns around and just keeps walking and the guy's like <laughs> that's great and <laughs> And that's literally what the song's about. And he, and he, and he, you know, he helps poor people. And the song's idea, though, is like, look, be a good person. Like, if you're rich, no matter how rich you get, no matter how high and mighty you think you are, it's still your job to go out 
and help people who have less than you, which is a good message in a in a in a holiday song, I think. But uh, but yeah, people were people were pretty peeved about it. There's a whole section in Wikipedia about like all the uh, critics of, of the song. And is this a good song or not? <laughs> I, it wasn't a song that I grew up with, but I, I, I have a fondness for it. Oh, it's 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 another banger of a tune. Mm hmm. It's a kind of a funny thing, though. You know, you think that this poor this poor guy following <laughs> Winslow around is being told, yeah, walk in my footsteps. It's like, or we could go back. Right, right. He says, sire, <laughs> the night is darker now and the wind blows stronger. Fails my heart. I know not how I can go no longer. And right. he's, he's like, like <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, just just stay in my footsteps and. And he's like, no, the whole point is I'm very cold. Well, it's, it's you know, it, it's supposed to be an allegory of following Christ. Of course. Uh, in, in, at least from the, the lyrical standpoint. And that's nice. But, you know, allegories always break down at some point because the thing that you're, the, the analogy you're making comes with its own set of problems. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the, 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 the where where you only saw one set of footsteps I, I was carrying you. Right. You know, just it just asks, it just poses more questions than it answers. It I is think. it is kind of the opposite of footprints in the sand, though. It's like when you saw only <laughs> one set of footprints, that was when I turned around and told you to just walk in my footprints <laughs> rather than, like, address the fact that you're very cold. I'm very sorry. <laughs> there's, a, there's a very famous cover of this song by William Lloyd Webber, Andrew Lloyd Webber's dad. There you go. So uh, if you're looking for a, another, a new William Lloyd Webber track to listen to this holiday season, well, let me set you up with this one. Uh, yeah, it's, it's funny to remember that Andrew Lloyd Webber, like, came from a family. Like, he came from a pretty, a pretty as they say, posh family. Wow. And, uh, and yeah, uh, by, the way, by the time he was 14, William Lloyd Webber was already a well-known organ recitalist. So, wow. Yeah, uh, which is... You know, I guess 1928 was still a year when you could become a well-known organ recitalist. <laughs> well, people had organs in their homes back then. My my grandma had a, a one of those parlor organs that was a little pedal pump organ. You know what? And, uh, we did too. Yeah. You just reminded me that we had a weird little organ in our house. <laughs> I was very young, but it had like knobs on it. But was that was that a uh, a mechanical one or was it a, an electric one? Cause I the, think it, I'm pretty sure it was electric. Because like the Wurlitzer organ was really popular in I mean, not the Wurlitzer the Hammond organ the Hammond mm -hmm. organ was really popular in the in the 60s and it became the staple of um, of rock and roll from that right. time because they didn't have uh, keyboards other than that they 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 had you know the piano or a, a Hammond organ, um, but but what my grandma had was like an actual stand-up organ that had that had bellows that you would uh, operate by pumping these pedals like you were like pumping a bike or something, and you had to pull out the little knobs, the little stops, just like you would if you were playing uh, an actual organ. Wow, yeah, uh, no, ours was. God, I, I must have been like five right. when they got rid of it. And now I'm like, did my parents like, were they hoping, like, did my dad like hear like hooked on Bach or switched on Bach and was like, my son well, one day. There was, you know, we will, this is not, this is way afield, but there was a huge 
culture of of parlor music in America and the people were expected you know in, in the late 19th early 20th century if you wanted music you got to make it yourself well yeah and that's why sheet music was super popular and when uh when recordings came along the argue, the question was like well you know they they can't be copyrighted because the sheet music is the copyrighted thing you know mm -hmm. and so a lot of places a lot of states the the recordings weren't copyrighted they were um they were patented right and so it, it's all a big mess and oh, you say because of that yeah. yeah sorry go ahead i was gonna say you say it's far afield but like that ties directly into singing christmas songs <laughs> like that true. is that's one of the main times people would all gather around the parlor and like right. belt out songs Right. But, you know, if you look at the sheet music from that period, what what strikes me is how incredibly hard it is to play. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you if you play piano. I, I You know, I had like eight years of lessons when I was a kid and I barely play the piano now. But I have a lot of old sheet music because I like it. And I've opened up like this, this stuff and it's it's insanely complicated, these things. And people were just playing it in their parlors, you know. Yeah, because what else did you have to do? Like you had a, if you, you just practiced piano, especially if you were like the middle daughter who probably wasn't <laughs> going to get married off. Uh, you learned the piano. And then when the guests would come, they'd be like, play us that song. And you'd be like, yes, mother. Like that was your lot in life. And you, and you smiled and you did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> is trying to explain what the feast of stephen is uh which i believe is isn't like the this it's one of the days of it's after christmas right yeah i i don't i don't yeah. know I, I i'm i'm uh I, you'd have to ask a, a catholic i, I they <laughs> all those feast days it's december 26 um but it doesn't matter because fred is unceremoniously cut off uh by the carolers singing we wish you a merry christmas yeah, this seems to keep happening in this book. Like the, the like the people are getting like uh, music off the stage, just like uh, they're at the Oscars, going too long. <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone hates Fred. Is kind of just the way the <laughs> Berenstain Bears books work, anyway. And he's like, I have very useful information related to the subject at hand, and they're like, shut up, nerd, and they move on to the next. Uh, right. We wish you a merry Christmas. Is the most specifically this is a wassailing song this is a song that was written to be sung door to door because it is the one song in this book that is that deliberately demands food of of the people who are being sung to right uh, famously figgy pudding right yeah yeah no the figgy pudding you know the the uh 
as everyone should know now from watching uh, Great British Bake Off, the um, the the whole world of Christmas puddings is like a whole subcategory mm-hmm. uh, of of you know you, people say that in Britain pudding means dessert, but I think that when you say a pudding, right. you're referring to a very specific kind of bready baked. Um, you know, it's like a a, a moist uh batter that's been baked and has uh often preserved fruit and sometimes like preserved meat and mm-hmm. stuff in it yeah um, the, the 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 pudding the the pudding that we think of as the as the british christmas pudding the figgy pudding predates what we think of as the uh the the the, the, the traditional holiday pudding uh i love that the the whole like history of figgy pudding is like <laughs> Here's paragraphs about figgy pudding, but at the end of the day, we really don't know what they were referring to <laughs> because there's like five different things referred to as figgy pudding throughout history, and each one sounds progressively more awful. Um, <laughs> some involve fish, uh, which I'm just like, nope. But uh, when you look at the like puddings, because like it was originally a way to like preserve meat. Uh, so you would preserve the meat with its own fat, but you would also put in like uh, uh, like dried fruits and stuff to help like, and then you put it in a casing. Uh, but then as dried fruits like became more plentiful uh, and, and and cheaper and easier to distribute, they people started tending more towards the fruit end of the pudding uh, while keeping in like the I believe the fat in order to keep uh, to act as a preservative. But. Right. Uh, it's it's a it's a complete mystery to most I think Americans, like right. what a figgy put what a pudding is. And also, yeah. what are what are figs doing in in Britain at the time? Aren't figs like Mediterranean? I think it's said that figs. A, we don't know if they were actually referring to figs because figgy <laughs> could mean something else. It could mean sure. fish, I guess. I believe that figs was a general term for any dried fruit. Uh, uh, back then, I think they would just call them like call uh, any fruit, or was that plums? Maybe I'm thinking of plums. I think plum is what they called any dried fruit. Fig was fish, <laughs> <laughs> or something. Some people say it's actually piggy pudding, and, and I find that, that absurd. Uh, if you want a recipe for it, uh, naim figus and boilachem and wine. And Braham in a mortar with layered bread, temper it up with good wine, boil it, do their togo de spicere and whole raisins, dress a hit, flourish it a buoy with pomegranates. If you want to make your own figgy pudding. Mm, very good. And yeah. then and then the milner comes in and tells a tale about, I don't know, someone <laughs> farting in some farting place. it's all it all comes down to farting <laughs> come to find out most literature from that era was just one big fart joke um uh one and opera what the shot of sota um we all had to memorize it oh, yeah. so they sing we wish you a merry christmas they go to squire and lady grizzly's house the richest bears and bear countries they demand figgy pudding they don't sing now bring us some figgy pudding they say we all want some figgy pudding uh which i don't know where they got that from but uh uh, they don't sing the good tidings we bring to you and your kin which is what i learned when i was originally a little kid but uh honey doesn't know what figgy pudding is and so 
she wants figgy pudding. So they get invited in for some Christmas pudding. <laughs> we wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings, we tidings, good tidings we bring. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This was the moment where I sort of set down the book and stood up for a while <laughs> because this is the most bewildering moment, I think, in a modern Berenstain Bears book. Please explain well, what happens. Which Squire uh, Grizzly presents a, a, a serving uh, plank full of these little <laughs> blue bowls of what appears to be like banana pudding or maybe tapioca pudding. Um, you know, it's like mm -hmm. they're like these little blue fiesta wearables. And, and, and in the background, there are <laughs> at least there, there are seven more, but the implication is, you know, all through the house, there's just every cover, every surface is covered with these bowls of pudding. And but not right American pudding, pudding like the kind you would get if you if you if you went to you know the the Jello aisle in your grocery store and bought a a, a box of Jello instant pudding and pie filling. Try Jello pudding and pie filling, the creamy easy answer to what's for dessert. Good, I appreciate it, and good night. And so the question is, did he just have seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve bowls of <laughs> yellow pudding sitting on this end table waiting for people to show up like lukewarm i assume it's room temperature at this point and also he doesn't give them spoons <laughs> well who needs spoons you just tuck right in i guess it's the most it's the strange Lady Grizzly and Squire Grizzly are the richest bears in bear country. If anyone in bear country is connected to like their European roots and knows what a Christmas pudding is, you would think it would be them. You think they'd be like they'd bring it out and they'd set it on fire and like they'd cut off a piece and Honey Bear would clap her hands and they'd right. all try figgy pudding. Yeah, I, I by the way, I have a question here because as I've mentioned before, uh, uh, my history with the Berenstain Bears was when I was a kid. There were two books. Yeah, there was the Great Hunt. There was the Big Honey Hunt, and there was the bike le the bike lesson or whatever they were called. That the two um, I can read it books and um, and I over the years I watched with some amusement when the Bear Berenstain Bears became like a, a phenomena, but I was too old at that point. I just mm -hmm. saw it happening. So I don't know who Squire Grizzly is, but I want to know, <laughs> do the other bears call him Squire or did he just like take it upon himself to say, you got to call me Squire? Because that's a, that's an honorific for someone, uh, uh, for a landowner. Well, um, he is he is a squire. 
and she is a lady. Uh, <laughs> he is only ever referred to as Squire. Like, they just call him Squire. Like, evening, Squire. Uh, except not with a British accent. Uh, he, we, all I know is that Lady Grizzly, I believe it was established, Lady Grizzly used to be in burlesque. And he met her sometime after she left the burlesque world because an old burlesque friend of hers shows up in town in one of the books hmm. and uh and uh they have a hist so they have a history but he's also f- has has traditionally been presented as something of a not a villain but as unsympathetic to the rest of the bears in bear country because he's rich and he lives on a hill and he has a butler and uh, and, and a monocle and a monocle he's he's pretentious and clearly just gives leftover pudding to the carolers who show up at his house <laughs> Um, but this, this inspires, they start hanging up wreaths and this inspires the, the chorus members, the, 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 the bear country carolers to burst into a extremely truncated version of deck the halls, <laughs> uh, which was originally called deck the hall, uh, back in the, back in the 16th century, or I guess back in the maybe 18th century or 19th century when the English lyrics first appeared. It's an, it's a Welsh melody. Uh, belonged to a winter carol called Nos, Nos Galen, which I'm sure I'm mispronouncing, uh, written by a Scottish musician and uh, was originally a party song, pretty much. Well, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these Yule songs mm-hmm. were party, party songs because Yule was, a, a, you know, predates Christianity and it was yeah. basically a midwinter's festival to try and keep people's spirits up around the um you know the, the around the solstice which is notoriously the the time of year when people get the most depressed because right. there's so little sunlight and uh, a yule log was traditionally the, the a log that was burned and kept burning during the festivities and you were supposed to just start it and let it go and when the it was done burning that was the end of the festivities so people would try to get as big a log as they could and uh squire grizzly definitely has a huge log uh, <laughs> i mean i mean in his fireplace like he has a huge <laughs> it's a giant log burning in the fireplace and it's funny though that they refer to that as the yule they, they the bears sing see the blazing of oh i see the bears have spoons now i didn't even notice they had spoons to eat their pudding uh-huh. uh they sing see the blazing yule before us and uh sister says what's a yule and uh, Lady Grizzly says, well, that's an old word for a Christmas log. And I'm like, A, it's not. <laughs> B, there's no such thing as a Christmas log. <laughs> there's a Yule log. And then sometimes people have them at Christmas. Uh, but I know that the Yule log is a much bigger deal in a lot of other countries. Uh, there's like the Yule log cakes. I think there's like a, isn't there one where there's a, a Yule log that poops? isn't there something some tradition uh hold on pooping you yeah pooping yule log uh it's a a a catalan log that poops candy at christmas oh uh the salt catalan holiday tradition involves a log that's fed scraps of food for several weeks leading up to christmas then it's beaten with a stick and implored to poop out a spanish nugget called turon Hmm. it's the tio de nadal the poo log 
so yes. So it, it, log, the log has... Oh, and if you search it, there's just all these delightful logs people have created that are squatting down. They look like little dogs, but uh, like they, they have like four legs or two legs, and, uh, and they're supposed to be pooping. They're making fun little faces. Mm-hmm. Why don't... This is a tradition that I think needs to, needs to live on in America. Right. But... Uh, but uh, not so not in Squire Grizzly's house. Uh, they sing "Deck the Halls," which, yeah, as you said, this is a Yule song, and uh, it, I mean, it, it, it's about trolling the ancient Yuletide carol. Uh, it uses <laughs> it uses words that don't even like mean anything to most singers anymore. Right. Uh, uh, well, that's the way. That's that's the case though with a lot of. Um... That's the case with a lot of words that you learn when you're a kid. You learn them specifically for one song, mm-hmm. and you don't and you don't question that, you know. Or or you learn like a locution, like "be that as it may," which is a a use of the subjunctive, and nobody or very few people actually use the subjunctive uh, tense, but people know. Be that as it may. Sorry, subjunctive is a mood. I, I, yeah. I, I, grammar nerds. It's not a tense. According to what I'm looking at here, the Yule lyrics came later. I mean, Yule logs were adopted by Christianity pretty early on because they, mm. they that was when, um, you know, when, when Christmas was established as a Christian holiday, it was taking over from, what, Saturnalia? Right. And, and, Actually, that was another huge controversy was a lot of uh, you, you go back to the literature back then, a lot of uh, of clerical people tutting the idea of turning a, a, you know, a big party into um, into something that's supposed to be religious. And, and the, the, the fear that you're just encouraging people into drunkenness and into debauchery and what does that have to do with christmas anyway yeah i mean what does that have to do with christ anyway because there was no christmas there was now there was going to be a christmas and um and this is this is the thing that's that's funny is there's there's a there's these little um glimmers of that 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 come through you know in in either the yule log or the christmas tree or in 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 a christmas carol um what a lot of modern readers may not know is that there was a um, uh, a British tradition of telling ghost stories at at, yeah. at Yule time. So a Christmas Carol was Dickens' version of a ghost story. And what I loved about a Christmas Carol, and uh, and this is one of those things that gets brought up when you when you read about Dickens, is that a Christmas Carol popularized Christmas again. Right. Uh, like it, it sort of laid in 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 much the same way that like twentieth century American television and movies fed into how you were supposed to celebrate Christmas in the twentieth century. A Christmas Carol really informed the way people cele- started celebrating Christmas again uh, in the nineteenth century. Uh, it popularized some of those songs again. Like Dickens was kind of like harking back to a to a earlier time, uh, a, a more idealized Christmas, and then people were like, "Oh, this is a pretty cool thing to do." Um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about what you said earlier, which is that which is the notion of Christmas being a uh, a time to 
you know, the world, the, the days are getting much shorter and the nights are getting colder. And uh, you have these celebrations where you where you make as much noise and light as possible to kind of shout, uh, shout back at the darkness is how I always put it. Uh, and how whenever people say like, you know, Christmas is, you know, pe- people celebrate Christmas differently all over the world. It's like, well, yeah, people like yell at winter differently all over the like there's like there's this, this there's this like sort of de- like human defiance in the face of like the loss of the sun that that people have been celebrating and 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 standing up for since i guess probably humanity began right but if you go to australia of course christmas is celebrated with like uh, as, as sort of this mid uh, summer yeah moment there were where people are supposed to get together with their families but it's more like this moment of quiet in the midst of of, of summer it, it's always weird when you make those when you when you can finally make that connection you know there's the famous um bossa nova song the waters of march and mm-hmm. when i was a kid and i heard that the first time i fell in love with it i always thought oh this is a song about uh thaw coming in in spring you know the, because they're talking uh-huh. about waters flowing in spring and i thought oh this is about the thaw after winter but it, it isn't it's from a brazilian writer and it's writing about the brazilian experience of of march which is at the end of uh, a long summer you have the sudden rainy season mm. and it's seen as a, sort of this relief or this renewal and so that's what it's about. Because Christmas traditions bloomed and blossomed in Western Europe and in America, uh, the American and Western like, European seasonal concepts color the entire thing. Like that's mm-hmm. just that's just the way it ended up. Uh, you know, if if Christmas had had suddenly become the most popular thing in the world in Australia, it would be a very different holiday today. <laughs> Yeah, if Franken and Bass had been born there, we would have seen something something completely different. <laughs> So the carolers make their way back to Farmer Ben's farm. Turns out the chores he had set out were, were getting all the animals together in the barn. And it looks so much like Jesus's birth in Bethlehem that they are compelled to sing about it. Um, now, of course, I covered the nativity last week, so we don't need to go into the, the ins and outs of how many wise men there were. But uh, they start singing Away in a Manger. And Away in a Manger is interesting because it has two accepted and equally popular in different parts of the world melodies. Right. No, definitely. It actually has a third one, too, that is almost never heard. Mm. But, um, yeah, it, it, has the, it has the one that... Away in a manger, no right. crib for a bed. And it has the... Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. And I think that, like, I think the first one you did was the the the, the British version, like the one right. that people in England hear. And uh, the other one is the one that is more familiar in America. Uh, I'll tell you one thing about Away in a Manger, though. Was not written by Martin Luther. <laughs> I don't know where the idea came. I mean, I'm sure I could look it up, but uh, the, the generally attributed to Martin Luther, 
I just can't picture Martin Luther sitting down and writing, Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. And then he ha- and then he nailed it to the <laughs> right? cathedral walls. It, it just it doesn't seem very, uh, I don't know, Lutheran to me. Like, in the most specific sense of the term. <laughs> There's there's a whole lot about the attribution of the of the of the of the authorship to it because the guy who wrote it like copyrighted it in incorrectly and so like it ended up getting attributed to somebody else. It's pretty confusing and I don't quite understand how it happened. But when I was a little kid, this was my favorite Christmas carol. Oh, really? Mhm. Hmm. Uh anything about a little baby, I was, like when I was very little, anything about a little baby, I thought was just the most like amazing thing in the world. Well, my favorite was a little town of Bethlehem. And, th- and that was because it had those really weird 19th century uh, chords. It had these like incredible schmaltzy chord progressions. And, and, and I adore those. Yeah. I'm, I'm, th- I'm going through it in my head now. Yeah. And it also has like these really um, apocalyptic lyrics at the end. Like what was it? It was like, um, Apparently it was uh, it was um well it was an older tune it was collected by Rafe Von Williams which probably explains why the chords were so absolutely mm. crazy. Is it the hopes and fears of all the years? Yeah, but there's there there were there there was like even more. It was like the um I th- I, th- I love the part was so God imparts to human hearts the blessings of His heaven. No ear may hear His coming, but in this world of sin, where meek mm-hmm. souls will receive Him still, the dear Christ enters in. It's so like um. It's so dour in some ways. And well, the, that's uh, one of the reasons I always liked uh, 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 God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, uh-huh. uh, because I love any Christmas song that just mentions Satan. That's like, because <laughs> it, it's just like, hey, don't forget that Jesus was born. Like, don't forget the reason for the season to save us all from Satan's power. And you're like, oh, wow, like Satan doesn't usually get brought up on Christmas. But OK, if we're going there, uh, I also liked uh, how dark uh we three kings would get because that was a song written for like children to sing in a pageant and the 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 myrrh is mine it's bitter perfume brings to light a gathering gloom sorrowful sighing bleeding dying sealed in a stone cold tomb yeah it's like we know that's what myrrh stands for it represents the 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 dressing of the body but like to have the to think that the king would sing it to like mary to yep. be like, I'm bringing Murphy because he's going to grow up and die in his 30s. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the whole, the whole, the whole um, Magi bit is very strange when you think about it. You know. Oh yeah. <laughs> this whole idea that they're going to follow uh, a star, you know, because stars ro- rotate around the sky. What exactly does that mean? Did they kind of like? Did they kind of win their way back and forth? Or <laughs> well. I thought that the idea was that because they were astrologers, they were following the star like in like the general, like the in like the astrological sense. Like the stars have led us in this like uh-huh. we read the stars and there's this one star that stands out and doing our astrology stuff, we're heading in this direction. Well they say that the star came to rest over Bethlehem. Yeah. So, you know, it it did do something whatever that I was mean, i said in the last episode that like you can read like there's a million different conversations about it like some people are like well maybe it was a supernova or you know maybe it was you know maybe it was a comet and i'm like i think it was just a literary device right. 
Like, I think it was symbolic. I think saying like a star hung over the head of the baby who would be king of the universe right. is probably yeah. like there for dramatic reasons. Right. Well, Arthur C. Clarke will have words with you. <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke will have words with Denis Villeneuve <laughs> when he finally gets that rendezvous with Rama film made. That's I'm just kidding. Arthur C. Clarke's dead. Um <laughs> So because of the, the, the cattle are lowing and sister's like, what's lowing? And farmer, I'm surprised farmer Ben's like, well, we cut out the, the cow's voice box. <laughs> it means mooing, kids. Yes. You remember those little toys that you would turn over and they would make <laughs> yes. a moo sound? What, what, yes. were, what were people thinking? Why was that supposed to be fun? Because they figured out one thing to do. And they were like, you know what doesn't exist? A lot of other stuff. So we're just going to make these and sell them. And kids, you know what kids are going to do? They're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, It always reminds me of the movie Delicatessen. Uh, Are you familiar with Delicatessen? Uh, I know. Oh, um, Junet, the guy who did Amelie and Alien Resurrection. Uh, his before he did City of Lost Children, he did Resurrect uh, Delicatessen. It takes place post apocalyptic uh, uh, city, and it takes place in a single apartment building. And there's two guys in this post apocalyptic apartment building who are making those moo cow toys. Oh yeah, like they have a punch press and they drill the holes, and one guy makes the makes the bladder that makes the moo, and they build it, they, they glue it together, and they test each one. But they're doing it for no reason, because there's nothing around them. But like that's just what they do. They just, they spend their lives making these little cow, these moo cow toys, uh, which low, like Bossy the cow. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. So now they head to the chapel in the woods where they're welcomed by Preacher and Mrs. Brown. There's hot chocolate at the door. There's a nativity outside. And now they're singing, Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. As they walk into there, as we have discussed in the past, uh, vaguely Quaker chapel. Hmm. Uh, the Bears religion is is based on Quakerism, but we're not really sure how it all fits together because they have their own traditions. Uh, but they all line up, every bear in bear country, and they sing, Oh, come all ye faithful. And the final page of the book actually has a little bit of sheet music to it, which I thought would be in the rest of the book, but they save it for the end. That's the thing about this is this book, as I said, the first features a lot of, of, of carols, but it doesn't really... Um... I don't know who it's written for, because if if you're a kid listening to this, I don't know that you are super familiar with these uh, mm-hmm. carols to begin with. And, and you're not going to learn these carols from from reading this book. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I remember we had at Christmas, we had a Whitman 
Christmas Carol's book, and I've looked it up. It was published. The, the version I had was from 1969, but Whitman mm-hmm. had been making this Christmas Carol thing since I guess the 30s, and that had like all the the sheet music in it, and, and you could actually like play something. This, this, uh, I don't know what you're supposed to learn from this. Uh, I had my parents had a, a collection of 78s of of christmas carols that i would listen to over and over again and that's where i learned all my christmas carols from what you, uh, had, a, you had a victrola <laughs> we had a we had a stereo system that could play 78 oh right so. yeah so <laughs> we didn't have, it wasn't like a wax cylinder <laughs> it was, for for me 78 was just what you played when you wanted to hear voices super fast oh. <laughs> No, it was what I played when I wanted to hear a choir sing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, <laughs> yeah, this book is is about Christmas caroling. It's not about the carols, and it's not about the song. It's not about the songs or the singing of the songs. It's about the the very act of caroling, going about your neighborhood, singing to people, and uh, enjoying enjoying the songs. Yeah, but, but, you know, if you look back on it, they really only sing to Squire Grizzly. Mm-hmm. That's like the only house they stop at. And then they come back. I guess you could say they sang to to Farmer Ben, but it's more like they ended up there at the at the end of everything. You know, they, they don't really they don't really do much of a circuit. Look, if you're out trick or treating and there's a house on a hill that you know is giving out endless candy bars. You beeline to that house and you spend Halloween there. If there's a guy handing out bowls of pudding and letting you warm yourself by his giant log, yeah. then you go to Squire Grizzly's house and you're like, he's the richest bear in bear country and we're just going to hang out here tonight. Because uh, that's the book. Oh, and there's also a, a word find at the end. <laughs> Did I did I did I send you the word find? No, I did not see the word find. Oh, it also it also as you, a, as you mentioned before, it includes four postcards and a holiday door hanger. That's right. So the postcards are in the middle. They are postcards. Like you can mail them. They you punch them out. One is a, the, it's the picture of the bears going into the church. It says season's greetings. There's a picture of the bears caroling. It says Merry Christmas. There's a picture of the nativity scene. It says Merry Christmas. And there's a picture of the final image of with the sheet music. And it says Season's Greetings. But it's the door no- the door hanger, the doorknob hanger that is my favorite. Because it is Ben waving to the bears as he arrives at their house. You And you, you would sup- uh, supposedly hang this on your front door. And it just says, Gone Carolyn. Hmm. So when your neighbors swing by, I guess on their own caroling rounds, they'll be like, "Oh, don't knock on this door. They're already they've already gone caroling." Yeah, we we used to just tie a a, a stocking around the uh, doorknob, <laughs> hang a tie. Uh, <laughs> uh, final question is: uh, Is Jesus the King of Angels? Uh, come and behold him, boy. Well, that's in the song, yeah. I do, I never. I just looked at that and I was like, I never think of referring to Jesus as the King of the Angels. I mean, I guess he is. I mean, he's but the like, king of it. he gets to be the king of everybody, doesn't he? I guess, but you think like for so for so long the angels were like just relaxing, and then all of a sudden one day they're like, we have a king. Ah. King of Angels, uh, I, I sense a rebellion coming on.
but no, that's uh, that is that's that's the Berenstain Bears go Christmas caroling, and they mm-hmm. certainly did go Christmas caroling. Right. Uh, and we discussed our favorite carols. We discussed our history with carols. I guess my I have, if I had to ask you anything, I'm like, what is your favorite Christmas Christmas TV special? You know, I, I, I it certainly is not Noel, um, <laughs> uh, in in spite of the fact that uh, I. I, I did inflict that upon you many years ago. Um, I think mm-hmm. of the Rankin Bass ones, mm. I would go with Santa Claus is Coming to Town because I feel like that is the one that is firing on all cylinders where <laughs> they have like they have a, a tight story, they have an interesting cast of characters, they have uh, some good songs, including that that crazy song where the future Mrs. Claus basically has this rapturous uh, sort of uh, sexual awakening um, <laughs> all the little cares picked along the way suddenly have disappeared with yesterday tossed about the fields and lost Jessica realized the first thing she had to do was set Chris and the others free. No, no, but but uh, but I think it's a, uh, I think it's a uh, that yeah that one's pretty good and 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 Mickey Rooney isn't as weird as he would later get. You know, by the time, uh, by the time um, the year without a Santa Claus came along, he was he was really kind of chewing his uh, his his delivery i want to i want a dvd of santa claus is coming to town that says in that has a quote on the cover that says mickey rooney isn't as weird as he will later get john mccoy <laughs> well i mean do you remember like in um the year without santa claus like he when the final v- verse is, is being sung he goes i dreamed unpleasant dreams There'll be no year without a Santa Claus. I dreamed unhappy things. I don't remember that, but <laughs> I will remember that uh, from now on. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go to the mat for for the weird the weirdness of two two Rankin Bass specials that I love for their sheer weirdness. One is the I think it's the life and adventures of Santa Claus. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a later one. That's a, a later one. one. Yeah, it's based on the L. Frank Baum novella, and it's very serious and very like Lord of the Rings. Um, but I enjoy it for its sheer weirdness and audacity. And then uh, "Twas the Night Before Christmas." Oh yeah, which is is a nonsensical mess, makes no narrative sense, and Santa Claus is a real jerk in it. But for some reason, I just love. I, when that special would come on when I was a kid, like it was so weird, and I just loved it so much. Well, and, well, even even a miracle needs a hand is probably the best song in any Rankin Bass uh, special. That is true. Uh, unfortunately, it's it's surrounded by a, <laughs> a bizarre. Like, why doesn't the boy believe in Santa? <laughs> you wish, and I'll whittle. You drip, while I dry. Let's all try to help a little cause even a miracle needs a hand. 
children, it's time for bed. Even a miracle needs It's also um, the the cell animated ones at that time were being designed by. Paul Coker Jr. Yeah. from Mad Magazine. And mm-hmm. that was one of the ones that had like the most uh, pronounced style of, of, of his. You know, it was like really, you could really tell that. If you Google image search Paul Coker's art, you're going to get a bunch of k- k- design concepts from the Rankin Bass specials. And you're going to get a bunch of really raunchy cartoons. <laughs> Well, you know, you could get a bunch of pretty raunchy cartoons if you uh, Google Stan and Jan Bernstein. Too. That's true, too, I guess. But I'm saying the alg- the Google algorithm for Paul Coker is a lot more evenly divided than it is for Stan and Jan Bernstein. Because <laughs> he liked to draw snowmen and he liked to draw buxom ladies. <laughs> And also, I guess, car- cartoon mice. But yeah, it's he's, he's one of those illustrators that once you know his style and then you go back and you watch these specials, you're like, oh, wow, like his fingerprints were all over these. Right. Well, you know, um, the other the other great uh, mad artist who worked for Rankin Bass was um, Jack Davis, who mm. designed for Mad Monster Party. That's right. That's right. And and, and Mad Monster Party was written by Harvey Kurtzman. Uh, and, and, it, and it shows and it's called mad monster party uh isn't isn't it like strangely long it is well it was it was like uh i think it had it was main, meant to have a theatrical release i don't know if it did that's one of those movies that i can see like going to see when i was a kid like if it was in the theater my parents would be like let's go see this movie and then like 20 years later you just believe you dreamed it <laughs> That's the way so much stuff was before there was an internet. I didn't know the title of Mad Monster Party had a question mark. Yeah. it's So it's not called Mad Monster Party. It's called Mad Monster Party. <laughs> and it's got it's got uh, that song by, what's her name? Gail Garnett, who wrote, who sang, um, who sang, what was the song? Um, sing, we'll Sing in the Sunshine. Aww. Oh, oh yeah. and it's a. Uh... And it's 95 minutes long. Uh, <laughs> Boy, this this podcast is sure taking a, a sharp turn away from uh, Christmas caroling bears to... Uh, yeah, We'll Sing in the Sunshine by Gail Garnett. Yeah. She was from New Zealand? Um, yeah, New Zealand. A New Zealand-born Canadian, which is like the best of all worlds. <laughs> sunshine we'll laugh every day we'll sing in the sunshine and i'll be on my way wow she she was in the pink panther yeah she's one of those you know there were those there was that she's in 32 short films about glenn gould wow well i mean i didn't know that but she she was <laughs> one of like those people that i always like lumped together with all the late 60s people like um petula clark and uh yeah yeah and like uh what's what's her name the the one who sang uh to sir with love (laughs) who sang to sir with who sang to sir with love that was uh lulu lulu right yeah lulu if you wanted the Would so a thousand feet 
Lulu had that um, Eurovision uh, song. Was yes. it Bang Bang a Bang or something? Uh, she was known for the song Bang a Bang. Boom Bang a Bang. I do want to point out that not only was was she uh, was Gail Garnett in 32 short films about Glenn Gould, a movie that I saw three times in the theater. Uh, so that is 96 short films about Glenn Gould. Uh, she was also in my big fat Greek wedding. Wow. So she got around. Uh, so you could say that she was in. She performed in a movie with Boris Karloff and she was in a movie with uh, Joey Fatone. So <laughs> she she pretty much ran the gamut of uh, of of Hollywood royalty. Wow. Speaking of speaking of everything, I guess that's what we're talking about now is just <laughs> everything. This has just turned into a, a stream of consciousness where <laughs> John and and Phil remember little known not even remember. Huh. We're literally like what was that woman? Hold on while I Wikipedia to Sir with Love. <laughs> Oh, are you referring to the novel by E.R. Braithwaite or the movie directed by James Clavell? Wait, it was directed, uh, directed by James Clavell? The movie the was directed, written and directed by James Clavell. Of of Shogun fame? Of King Rat, Taipan, Shogun, and Noble House fame. What a weird world. <laughs> why did he direct to sir with love Sidney poitier and james clavell wanted to do the film but columbia was reluctant they agreed to make the film for small fees provided poitier got 10 percent of the gross and clavell 30 percent of the profits and then there's a really like off-color comment but uh <laughs> yeah yeah james james clavell man i don't know if he ever directed another movie but uh he sure did direct to Sir with Love and and write write Shogun. <laughs> oh no, he also directed he also directed the the Sweet and the Bitter, Where's Jack and the Last Valley, hmm. and Five Gates to Hell and Walk Like a Dragon. He directed a lot of movies. <laughs> <laughs> to Sir with Love was his third movie. Uh, uh. Uh, of, of 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 six. So uh, this was the Berenstain Bears go Christmas caroling. John, thank you so much for joining me. Sure, sure. We'll I'll be back next time to to take us down Tin Pan Alley or something. And you know what? I am not cutting any of this. You know why? Because this is the jumbo Christmas episode people have been dying for. <laughs> Listeners, what's your favorite James Clavell novel? <laughs> Do you think they should adapt Shogun again? <laughs> What's your favorite Lulu song? <laughs> right, right. What's your favorite uh, Gail Garnett role? Uh, Do you prefer her in her one episode of Kojak or her one episode of The Real McCoys? Uh, okay. Uh, and listen to Sophomore Lid. <laughs>
it's kind of like this. <laughs> yes, it's exactly like this. Uh, and uh, is there any place else our listeners can find you, John? Uh, these days, uh, you know, I, I kind of uh, hang around the house a lot. You know, mm-hmm. there is this uh, pandemic on. So, um, yeah. so that, you know, maybe, you know, if, 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 you, if you find out where I live, mm-hmm. maybe you can come and visit me someday. Maybe I'd love to. That's on my list. Okay. Uh, well, so. well, I well, well, I will give you my address. There, everyone else has to find out on their own. Hot dog. I have you and Mike Berenstains. <laughs> uh, and if you're looking for me, I'm here. If you're looking for the show, you're already listening to it. But it's also at BerenstainBearcast.org because it's an organization. Uh, and it's on uh, Twitter at BeastainBearcast. Uh, listen to the show and leave a review if you like it. If you want more talk about stuff not related to the Berenstain Bears, uh, I'll have John on again. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what we do uh and listen to the back episodes of uh click it cast our old beverly cleary podcast we did it for 17 years and got through 30 episodes <laughs> that's right we were podcasting back in the 70s mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just like lulu uh america's first podcaster so thank you so much for listening uh, thank you so much for joining us and i'll see you all next time uh, deep in bear country and have a merry christmas it's sunshine